Before starting this or any other teaching, we must all first agree that the entire book of the Holy Bible was all written by Holy Spirit-inspired authors. The whole book, everything from Genesis to Revelation, was written by the Holy Spirit. To pick and to choose how much of the Bible you want to believe as authority, accept what you agree with and omit what you disagree with, is where we get the word heretic, which means to choose in Greek. A heretical point of view can always change over time, so it's not the absolute standard of truth. Hello, thank you for joining me with Thy Kingdom Come podcast. My name is Homer Holloway. Today we're going to be talking about the cross of Calvary. A lot of times you will hear preachers when they talk, they'll talk about the cross, Jesus and the cross. A lot of times in scripture, Jesus even says, you know, take up your cross. Especially in uh, Luke 9.23, Matthew 10.38, and Mark 8.34. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake will save it. So, like I said, we often hear preachers and teachers talk about the cross. Even Paul writes in Colossians 2.14 about Jesus canceling our record of debt and its legal demand, nailing it to the cross, thereby disarming the rulers and authorities, the rulers and principalities of evil. So what do people mean when they say, go back to the cross, take up your cross? We're going to uh, unpack the scripture and we're going to have to look into the Greek meaning. A lot of people, when they hear the cross, they think of it as a, a physical cross, as if a little crucifix or some type of lucky charm, medallion, necklace. A lot of people are misled into thinking that, oh, as long as I'm carrying a cross, I'm all right, as if it's some kind of lucky charm or religious object. But that's not what Jesus or the scripture is teaching when he says that. To better understand it, we would have to go back to the days of the Romans and analyze the Greek usage of the word life. So, when somebody was being crucified in Roman times, it was a form of degradation and execution. It was utter form of degradation, humiliation, and a form of torturous capital punishment. A person was crucified not only because they had a sentence of death, but they were also being made an example of. It was to be made a spectacle before all. You were an example. Look at this person being crucified. When you see a man, back then in Roman times, and when you saw a man carrying a cross, it meant that that person's life was over. They were being led to their execution. 
and any hopes, any dreams, any plans, any ambitions for this person's future was nil. It was over. There, there was nothing left for this person but death and torture. Basically, whatever the person wanted, whatever the person need, whatever the person thought or felt was irrelevant. That person's mind, will, and emotion didn't matter. Their soul, along with their physical body, was going to be nailed with the cross. And the cross that was being executed on someone was not the will of the person being forced to carry the cross, but the will of the authority that imposed that sentence of death upon them, and by the cruelest means it was imposed and enforced. The authority imposing this sentence of death on the person was ultimately the essence of the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done, in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, putting into practice what he preached when he asked the Father if the cup of suffering could be taken from him, but then saying, not my will, but your will be done. So the authority imposed the will of the sentence of death upon Jesus. So not only was it the authority on earth, but ultimately the will of God that he be crucified. So this is even a hard pill to swallow for me because even as I teach this and as I sometimes write these out every day, I'm conflicted with putting aside my will, my ambitions, trying to hold on to what I want and trying to find out what God wants. That's why it's the concept of crucify or deny self. Jesus even says, whoever would try to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake will save it. This is Luke uh, 9.24. So to deeper understand, we must look at the word life in Greek. Most of us already know that in Greek, there are seven different names for the word love. There's many different meanings. I mean, many different words like storge, agape, phylos, uh, eros, to just name a few. Most people are familiar with that, that in Greek, there's many different ways of saying love. But there are also three different ways of saying the word life in uh, the Greek language. I believe that God in his infinite wisdom, this is why he chose for the New Testament to be written in Greek because it makes it so much deeper and profound. That's why he chose Greek, I believe. <clears throat> now the word life, there's three different ways of saying it. The first word for life is the word Zoe which you can find in Greek's Strong's Greek Concordance number 2222, 2222. It is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word nafesh, when God in, in Genesis breathed into man and made him a living creature. That is the same equivalent to zoe in Greek. The second way of saying life is Bios, and that is Strong's Greek Concordance number 979. The word is bios. That's where we get in 
the English word uh, biology or when in the hospital they say they're going to check your bio signs. That means the physical life. The third part is psyche. That is uh, Strong's Concordance number 5590. That's also where we get the word psychology or psychiatric. So essentially it's a person's uh, mind, body, and spirit. Those are the three ways of saying life. The, the spirit or the breath is the zoe, the mind is the psyche, and the body is the bios. Now, as we examine the ways that these different words are used, like for example, in the first chapter of John's Gospel, the fourth verse says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. When looking at the Greek scripture, the word that they use for life is zoe, the breath of life itself, the essence of all living things, the very breath that God breathed into Adam and all of creation and made us into living creatures. The other bios, the physical aspect of life, is basically the gift of God, that is the physical life, animation. We have the Zoe, the breath of life, the spirit which animates us, and we are living organisms. And your bios is the physical act of how you invest or spend your time with this gift of physical life. The example in scripture is Luke 8:14. Chapter 8 verse 14 in the verse of the seeds among the thorns. M many of us are familiar with the parable of the seed among the thorns where it reads the cares and riches and pleasures of life or bios the the pleasures of the physical life are the the thorns and that and thistles that drown out the seeds. So when you look in the Greek, it uses the word bios for the word life. The third is the psyche. Essentially, the third can be categorized as uh, the mind. For example, I expected to find when looking in the scriptures, when you read John chapter 15, verse 13, when it says, no greater love have a man than that he lay down his life for his friends. I expected to find the word bios in the Greek translation. But instead of bios, you find the word psyche. Well, in the context of believing before somebody can lay down their physical life, their bios, they first have to make a mental decision. They must, they must mentally lay down their life mentally before you can lay down your life physically. A prime example of this is found in the warriors of the past and present. Uh, to forsake the idea and the instinct of self-preservation. Uh, for example, the, the Japanese pilots of World War II, the kamikaze pilots, that went on suicide missions to make their plane a weapon. They sacrificed themselves physically for the the glory of Je the Japanese Empire. So they had to first sacrifice their life mentally, their psyche. They had to lay down their psyche before they could lay down their Zoe and their bios. Kind of like the word metanoia, 
those of you that are familiar with Greek, metanoia is the Greek word for repentance, which is Latin, which means a change of mind. You must change your psyche before you can change your way of life. So when people say the cross, we must lay down our life mentally first. It's, it's a spiritual act of putting yourself on the cross, laying down your will, your wants, needs, and feelings. Basically, Jesus wants to kill our way of thinking. When it is put on the cross, when he says, pick up and carry your cross, he means deny your life, your way of thinking, who you are, basically your identity. He wants us to kill our identity, who we are psychologically, so that we have a new psyche, a new frame of mind that can be risen with him. Our old identity of who we are, and the Bible calls this in Adam, the flesh, the sinful nature, that is supposed to be crucified with him by faith. Our identity as a sinner, as a rebel, dies. Our rebellious nature in Adam, the, the it's usually the NIV or NIRV that gives the definition of the word in Adam or old man or the flesh. It, it's a way of as explaining or defining it as sinful nature. That's that's a that's a definition of it because a lot of people are. What do you mean by the flesh? What do you mean by old nature, old man in Adam in different translations? So. That's why certain translations say sinful nature. It's a definition of it. Now, this old sinful nature, this rebel that is naturally in everybody from being in the bios, the flesh, is crucified. By faith, that old nature, that old way of thinking is put on the cross and is entombed with Jesus so that a new identity in Christ can be risen with him. Much like the same way before they could deny their life, if we go back to uh, the Old Testament with the uh, Ragshak, Meshach, and Abednego, before they would bow down before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, they had to make up their mind and say, no, we aren't going to do the act physically of bowing down. We're going to stay standing. In essence, they were willing to give up their life, so they had to make that decision. But back to crucifying the sinful nature or the, the flesh, the old man. So that when we are crucified with Christ, our way of thinking and our way of thinking is entombed with Christ, the new nature rises up and is led by the Zoe, the Holy Spirit. That's what will lead our bios, our everyday action, the way we live. Our bias will now be led by the Zoe, our psyche, which was the Holy Spirit. In a way, this if those of you who are familiar with the, the Freudian theory of psychology, it is the same as the id, the ego, and the superego. If you're not familiar with that, I'll explain it a little bit. And it goes hand in hand with the old nature and the new nature. So if you're not familiar with uh, the Freudian theory, according to Freud's psychoanalytical theory, the id is the primitive and 
instinctual part of a person's mind or will that is driven by sexual desires, aggressive drives, physical hunger, memories, and emotions. This is known as the id. And the superego operates as a moral conscience, and the ego is the realistic part that is supposed to mediate between the desires of the id and the superego. An example of the id is, say, the id, the physical craving, wants to sit on the couch and eat junk food all day and not go jogging or exercise, while the superego is trying to get you to make a good decision and be an upstanding person, to be healthy, get off the couch, and the the ego is the one that steps in between. So you can basically say the id and the superego are always fighting with each other, always at conflict, and then the ego steps in between the two. This is Floyd Freud's analytical theory, which it's the same principle. It's a psychological principle. That's why we get the word psyche. It can be compared with the spirit and the flesh in biblical terminology. The flesh wants the carnal desires of hunger, sexual drive, basically everything like an animal instinct, you know, if like where man is just an animal, of a beast, if you will. And then the mental or physical part needs to be led by the spirit. So your superego and your psyche must be taken over by the Holy Spirit. So, so what the Bible is saying that we must kill the ego and deny the id and let the superego be led by the words outlined in the Holy Bible. So the way we let the spirit lead us is that our superego is led by scripture. It's much like uh, those people who are old enough to remember the show Star Trek there was a group of aliens known as the Vulcans, and they would forsake their emotions and let their actions be led or dictated strictly by logic. They didn't make decisions based on emotion. In, in fact, they wanted to suppress their emotion and only logic dictated their actions. The same way Christians must forsake our emotions and logic and by faith embrace what is written in scripture. So a lot of times what scripture says isn't even logical. We just have to be led by the spirit and not be led by our emotions, what we think and what we feel. What we think, what we feel and what we want is logic and emotion, which is if you listen to one of my other teachings, it's basically the human soul. This is why in scripture, Jesus says, take up your cross daily. We must kill our id every day. For it is written, those who are in Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh and all its lusts and passions and desires. Which is the way I believe he wants us, or the reason why I believe he wants us to fast from time to time. Because the, uh, the id is driven by hunger also, so... Not only have we crucified the flesh of our lusts and passions and desires, sometimes he wants us to fast. That way we can deny the flesh and its carnal desire to eat and see if we can keep our flesh under control. This also 
goes hand in hand with the scripture that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The same way his mind, will, and emotions have been put on the cross. Now, this is going to help with the uh, next episode I'm going to go in is with uh, AA, NA, and the cross. Uh, the ways to overcome addic- addictions and how the uh, 12 steps need the cross in order to function. If a person wants to kill the old addict, the old alcoholic nature, they must use the cross of Calvary with these same spiritual and physical principles. So I hope that sheds some light onto what is meant by the cross of Calvary, the cross. It is essentially one putting to death that old identity, that in Adam, that rebellious nature, an old way of thinking. It's something that as Christians, we must do daily on an everyday basis because that old nature tries to resurrect every day. So we must by faith and by our will crucify this old nature. A lot of times it's easier said than done. It's something everybody has to struggle with. It's part of the Christian faith and part of our Christian walk. Hopefully you will join me for the next episode as I explain how the 12 steps need the cross of Calvary, that these steps cannot be completed without Jesus and the cross. Thank you for listening. I hope you join me.